You're listening to Bodyful, a podcast that explores the wonder and complexities of living in this human form and how we can engage in an ongoing practice of bodyfulness to become more fully at home in ourselves and in the interconnected web of Gaia, the living earth. I'm your host, Valerie Martin, and I'm the founder of the Gaia Center for Embodied Healing, where we support folks in their growth and healing work with somatic psychotherapy and embodiment practices. We hear all the time about the importance of being mindful, and it's time to invite our bodies to the party. Welcome to Bodyful. Hey friends, uh, here I am, better late than never, right? <laughs> Been off schedule with the podcasting for sure, um, but I am starting to think more seriously about hiring an actual like person or company who specializes in podcasts to help because I think that's kind of what I need to get more consistent, so stay tuned for that. But anyways, um, I don't have a lot that I want to touch on before getting into this conversation, um, I will say that I'm going to wait to re-listen to it until I'm putting this intro in and editing everything together. Um, but I'm really looking forward to that. And so it'll be a, kind of a fun surprise for me. What I can tell you that I remember, even though this conversation happened like five or six weeks ago, is that Jasmine and I had just had the most fun connecting and we just had so much to talk about related to hypnotherapy, drinking culture, sobriety, yoga, healing in general. Um, She is just a dynamic human being, uh, such a cool person. And I'm so glad and grateful that after several years um, of not connecting, she reached out to me out of the blue and mentioned that she listened listened to the podcast. And I was like, "Um, you need to come on, please. (laughs) So, and thankfully she doesn't live too far from me down the road a couple hours in Memphis, um, where we pass through if we're going on, if we're driving to Texas from here to see my family, which will happen next, probably around the holidays. We have to fly for a, a short trip in November um, for my grandmother's memorial service. But um, yeah, so I'm hoping I'll get to see Jasmine IRL pretty soon. But the other thing to tell you is that we had so much fun connecting and so much to talk about that we could not get through it in this one conversation. And I had another meeting scheduled afterwards. So um, we agreed to do a part two sometime soon. So stay tuned on that. Um, I know you're going to love this conversation, and let me tell you a little bit more about Jasmine. Jasmine Cage is a Memphis, Tennessee-based fine artist and 200-hour, soon-to-be 500-hour registered yoga instructor. Jasmine is a certified peer recovery specialist, a heart-centered hypnotherapist, and a certified Y12SR practitioner. Y12SR being yoga of 12-step recovery. She currently teaches yoga, breathwork, and meditative practices at Lakeside Behavioral Health Systems, a network of inpatient psychiatric facilities in West Tennessee. She recently launched Sobriatry, a project incorporating yoga, art, and spoken word. You can find Jasmine online 
at jasminecageart.com and that's jasmine with no e on the end jasminecageart.com you can also find her on instagram at jasmine cage again no e on the end she's really not there much but you know she's on it and then her newly launched sobriety on instagram which is spelled i have to type it out and to spell it it is s-o-b-r-e T-R-E-E, Sobriah Tree. So check it out. Um, I hope you love this conversation with Jasmine Cage. Jasmine, I am so excited for this conversation. Thanks for being here. When I got your email a few, it was a few weeks ago now, um, I was just, it was so great to hear from you. Obviously I'll share in the intro how we know each other, um, but it really does feel like reconnecting with a kindred spirit and and someone who I'm like, I always saw, you know, the potential to, to stay friends with you after that experience. And even though it's been four years, like here we are starting a friendship. So it's just really awesome. Yeah, that's wild. And it's been quite a four years. I mean, for the world, but for us individually. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. And who could have foreseen any of that? No kidding. So uh, before we jump in, and there's so much that we're going to get into a lot of, a lot of juicy stuff today. Um, let's drop in. So for those listening, as always, uh, feel free to join. If it's safe for you to close your eyes, great. Otherwise, just stay present in wherever you are listening. And just start to settle into this moment, this breath. Noticing what's present in the mind in the heart in the body And zooming out to all of it, to the full present moment experience, just holding it all in a posture of welcoming, allowing, non-judgment. Maybe feeling whatever surface is supporting you under your seat, under your feet, feeling that support. Take one more full breath. And come back into the space. So I always gotta know what did you notice? What did I notice? I noticed a, um, when you told me to tune into my heart, 
Mm. I noticed a feeling of, I was trying to define at the moment, yearning or longing, Mm. um, not for anything romantic per se, but just, uh, you know, that like trying to go to sleep on Christmas Eve kind of feeling, you know, Um, which is a great, it's a great feeling, but it's also, it's a form of pain, you know, and I was just, I was trying to, without analyzing too much, like, what is it that I'm, I mean, I think I'm looking forward to this conversation. Like I've been looking forward to it for weeks and mm-hmm. just getting into so many things, but just, I don't know, getting into life. It feels like there aren't enough hours and there's not enough, you know, I just, <laughs> I want it all right now. And that's a, a large part of why meditative practice is, is beneficial for someone like me. Cause I'm a kid on Christmas Eve perpetually. Wow. Uh, me too. And I know we we've connected over both being Enneagram sevens and that that's the feeling. It's like, there's just so much life to live and experiences to have. And I want it all. And, and that definitely can, I mean, it's a beautiful thing. Like you're saying, it's great, but also there's that flip side of kind of the, the ache of longing of knowing that there's, you know, never going to be enough hours to do all the things that we want to do. And that sometimes we'll get into this more later in the conversation, but that definitely, I mean, the, what is the, how each Enneagram number kind of has its, I don't want to use the word sin, but like whatever word they use for that. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like that gluttony of like, give it all to me. And I, you know, I've been that way with food, with spending, with you know, at times with alcohol, like it just all the things that when, when you have that voraciousness, it's like great. And also, uh, has a big shadow. <laughs> yeah. And the word that comes to mind is scattered. Like I can, mm. I have that way in relationships, like trying to be all things to all people, like, you know, the jock and like the seductress and the, the you know, you want to be like all these different personas. You want to mm-hmm. have all these And it can really result in you giving, you know, like razor thin portions of yourself to everything as opposed to giving, you know, a substantial chunk of yourself to just a few things. Yeah. Feeling, yeah. Scattered, fragmented. I I sometimes kind of compare it to feeling like a little dragonfly kind of flitting around the surface of the water and like desperately (laughs) wanting to like go deep, but then just feeling, you know, like, oh, but there's so many other things to explore here on the surface of the water. And I just want to jump around to all of them. Yeah. 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 And there are worse Um, things to, there are worse ways to be, you know, it's, it's exciting. And like with anything, it's, you know, like lean into the strengths of it and be aware of the potential shadow side of it. Mm -hmm. So, um, speaking of going deep, (laughs) Um, so how we met as I, my future self will have mentioned in the intro, um, is through this hypnotherapy training. And I, I'm, I'm so, uh, curious to hear some of your experiences around using it around being a hypnotherapist, because I will tell you, since this is really outside of a few emails, the first time we're catching up since then, um, you know, I was in, in a way really jazzed about it, really like bought in and, um, probably because of the nature of what we were just talking about and all my, you know, interests and trainings. And now I want to do this. And now I want to do this. Mm -hmm. I have very much gotten away from it 
And, and it's been sort of like on my list as something like, I want to revisit this. And I even did another little, little training a couple of years ago, but it was online and I was pretty disengaged from it. Um, mm -hmm. so it's, it's kind of on my list, um, of things that I want to come back to and dig into. And part of what I think was missing was I haven't yet, I mean, the best experience I've had as a client were in our little practice sessions that we had there at the place. Right. I, I haven't really had good sessions with a practitioner. And I'm so like, I'm so picky with practitioners that I haven't found any. I did like one virtual session with someone. And even then I was like, I don't think I was really hypnotized. So I think I need to have a better experience as a client, but then there's the whole idea, which I know I'm talking a lot, but uh, we'll, we'll get to some actual questions here. Um, then there's the question around, well, maybe I'm, I'm just not that hypnotizable. And so I need to be less hung up on, you know, on that and that being a reason to be skeptical. So I don't know if you've come across, um, and I'm trying to remember how they framed it. I think that in our training, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, I think that it's sort of the general message around like, well, technically everyone can be hypnotized and maybe the people have different experiences or most people can be hypnotized. Um, I listened to this fascinating interview on Andrew Huberman's podcast on neuroscientist um, recently with David Spiegel, who's a big hypnosis guy from, I think, Stanford. Um, and, and he does talk about how his dad, who was a big hypnotist invented this hypnotized Spiegel, uh, eye roll test. And so I, since I knew we were going to be talking about, uh, hypnosis, I just kind of listened to that clip again. Cause I was, I remember when I had listened to it in the car, I was like, I need to do this test on myself. So I'm over here like an hour ago, like recording my eyeballs as I'm like, <laughs> rolling, like, eh, can I be hypnotized? So all that to say, I don't know, maybe part of my holdup is that I, I just haven't sought out the right experience with it as a client. So I've drifted away, but I still really believe, I mean, even this, this Huberman interview was uh, oh my gosh, it's so, it's such a powerful thing to do a powerful process to do with people. There's so much data and evidence behind it. So I, I like to get back to it, but I haven't done much since those initial, you know, getting however many hours we needed. So I would love to hear from you now that I've thrown 18 different questions out there, but, but really like, what is your thought around the idea of hypnotizability and, and just your general experience of what it's been like to work, do work as a hypnotherapist, um, since four years ago? Well, you know, it's fascinating. It's, it's so funny. Of course, you and I would have similar experiences. I went to see a practitioner almost immediately when I got back, uh, into Memphis and didn't have, it wasn't a bad experience, but I definitely wasn't hypnotized. Um, I kind of remember kind of pretending I was yes. feel bad because she yes. was such a big person. Um, <laughs> but then I started thinking, you know, the, I think the word they used was suggestibility, like yeah. people that are suggestible. And so then I was thinking, have I shot myself in the foot by like digging in and reading, getting so invested and so like, I have a, um, a tendency to get really controlling over like mm. my intake of information. I just want to like eat it all up have I learned too much so that now I can't be, you know, a passive uh -huh. participant yeah. and, um, or just have I not met the right practitioner? Yeah. Um, so I really, I hate to I admit, I don't know if I've really ever been all that hypnotized. I played yeah. around with 
of hypnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really fascinated by highway hypnosis, which is, you know, mm. you drive when you drive the same route over and over again, you fall yeah. into, because sure. we don't have the bandwidth to process the same 30 minute commute back and forth. Right. So it's that thing where you leave and then you arrive and you kind of lost that period of time in between. You were still coherent, you were right. still a defensive driver, but, and that's what they call highway hypnosis. So that's something we can all kind of identify. Totally. So I know that, and I, I do that and have done that. Um, Mm -hmm. so I really, I want to get further into like the Ericksonian, you know, the hypnosis I've read a lot on, uh, neuro linguistic programming Mm -hmm. as far as, cause it's funny. Cause as far as my job's concerned, where I work, I am not like, they are not touting their hypnotherapy program. I am not, I do not use that word. <laughs> like mm. I, as far as like, use some of the skills, but you're not necessarily, you know, saying, okay, I'm putting you under right now. Cause there's so many skills that are translatable across just re- relaxation, mindfulness, you know, healing, exactly. all of it. So I'm yeah. using it all day, but I, I never say, because that opens a whole can of worms. Um, and it, and it, it turns people it's, there are certain phrases, especially, you know, here in the South, you know, even saying the word yoga can be a little delicate. Sometimes mm-hmm. people associate that with, you know, voodoo, witchcraft. Yeah. So using the word hypnosis is kind of similar. I have talked about it in certain groups and people, oh, they always perk up because there's something kind of mystical about it. Mm. Um, but I explained to people, it's very much just, it's like halfway to a dream state. And there's a lot, I remember seeing on, I think Dateline of all places many years ago, this woman who was a victim of a violent crime that resulted mm-hmm. in brain damage and under hypnosis, she was able to identify her assailant after years and years, like nothing else would work. So there are some really scientifically medically backed, you know, mm-hmm. examples of how it 100% works. Um, but, you know, as far as me being hypnotized, I haven't gotten a ton out of it. I do employ the methods every day though, you know, and I, I see it works. Right. And I also, you know, I'd be interested to know from the research and, and I know that this guy, um, I'm forgetting his, his first name right now, I think David, but Spiegel, um, and I'll put the link to that, um, Huberman lab, um, interview in the show notes, but, you know, so he's done a ton of research and, and I, I would imagine that there's, there's also some, some validity to the fact that even the lower to moderately hypnotizable people can still get a lot of benefit from the process, even if it's not the exact, it doesn't look the exact same as someone who's highly hypnotizable. So I think, you know, that may be a part of, of it for, I don't know, maybe folks like you and me who either maybe we're in that 30%. Um, that's what he says in the interview that about 30% of people are not really that hypnotizable, but then there's also, it's, it's kind of on a spectrum too. So it's not like either a yes or no necessarily. Sure. Um, yeah. so, and, and then I also think, um, about like, like you said, I mean, I have very much had that experience of the quote highway hypnosis. Um, but I love how Marissa tears, she's one who's, I, I really like her work and I have some of her video trainings. Um, she, she kind of teaches what she calls integrative hypnosis. And so it's like bringing that in with, you know, NLP stuff and all these other techniques, um, and, and just allowing it to be really integrative, but she describes it as like, 
okay, have you ever lost your keys? Well, if you're like me, many, many times. And it's like, well, who's who's the one who set your keys over there? You were, <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah. you weren't in a fully conscious state when you did it. So just as a really relatable example. And, and the other thing too, that makes me kind of curious of maybe I just haven't um, found the right person or approached it the right way yet myself as a, a client is um, the idea of like, when we are immersed in fiction, um, that, you know, in a sense, that's a type of hypnosis, right? Cause it's like my, I know that I'm sitting here on the couch watching this fictional show that is, you know, these are actors. These are not people really living these experiences, but I get deeply visceral response. I cannot watch horror films, and even though it's like, yeah, I know they're fake. I know this isn't happening. Um, even just like shows like This Is Us, which are like designed to, you know, pull at your emotional heartstrings. <laughs> I just get so emotional. I get so invested in what's happening. So I'm like, well, shit, maybe I'm actually very suggestible. <laughs> I think you're right. I heard something about that recently. Somebody pointed it out. Um, one of these podcasts I was listening to, and I started noticing when you're engrossed, when you're really like, I noticed the other night, I- I was watching Better Call Saul. You lose track of I am watching this on a screen. Yeah. Like you become, it's like you're a fly on the wall in that room, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then you you pop back and you're like, okay, yeah, there's my furniture, there's my, you know, but right. really, you're truly into like some very good storytelling, some very, you know, high quality yeah. TV film. Um, I think you're right. I think that's a form of hypnosis. There are so many forms, I think, you know, in yeah. the midst of, um, I don't know how, how graphic we can get on your show, but like in the midst of so free. You know, <laughs> like in a sexual, like a highly charged, like sexual, yeah. you're just breathing as well. Like you lose track of the boundaries between your body and theirs, you know, like it lose track of time completely. When I'm in the flow state, when I'm painting, that's the only time really I lose track of time I'm usually very punctual that's my thing like I know when it's been 10 minutes but there are certain times when I have no idea if it's been 10 minutes or if it's been 90 minutes Mm. and that's a form as well you know yeah definitely and I think even that example with like watching a show or a movie and and feeling that you know really in the experience um, I can't remember if it was our training or another one that I've done, but like, I liked this, um, folks who are listening, will just have to imagine I'm holding my hand up and then kind of folding your fingers over. Um, but your hand is still vertical. It's almost like, it's not that your conscious mind is offline. It's just that there's also now this, you know, with, if your, your fingers have been pushed down, you're also accessing the subconscious. So I think that maybe that's why, for a lot of people, the experience of hypnosis is just not going to feel all that different from your waking life because your conscious mind is still online, right? You're still remembering afterwards, all the things that have happened. I'm still aware. A part of me is continuously aware that I'm watching a show, but there is also a bypassing that is reaching my subconscious. And a part of me is feeling that I'm in the show. Yeah, I think that one of the probably one of the stumbling blocks for us with hypnosis or for us in general is is the word itself carries so much weight just because yeah. we've learned to associate over from a little kid, you know, that the hip, you know, the hip the hypnotist is the one who can, you know, make people cluck like a chicken. And mm-hmm. you just assume that in that state you're gonna feel completely different or you're gonna lose track of time 
or you're going to be completely out of control of your body. I mean, there maybe there's some hypno hypnotists. I think Franz Mesmer was like one of these guys who could, you know, back in the day, he was doing incredible things. He was a highly talented hypnotist, you know, and uh, maybe there are some people to this day and there are some, even he recognized at the time, he didn't know exactly how it worked, but he knew some people were more suggestible than others. But I think for the most of us, we look for these ethereal kind of experiences and it just isn't that. I think you're right that there's, you know, varying degrees and we just don't really recognize that because we're looking for something a lot bigger and, and more yeah. obvious. Right. Something that's just completely different from anything I've ever felt before. And like, that's probably not really what it's going to be like for pretty much anyone. Right. Um, so, yeah. so then when you bring some of those, um, tools into your work, cause, um, you've worked in different settings that are, you know, psychiatric or substance use, um, helping folks who are learning skills and healing from stuff, um, I wonder, this might be a big question, but I wonder if there's like a couple of, of pieces of elements of those tools or skills that you find are just really, really beneficial for people. What are those pieces that you've pulled out that even if you're not putting them in the framework of like some kind of formal hypnosis session with an induction, what are some of the tools that you're just like, man, if, if more people got their hands on doing this, it would be great. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, the first thing that I try to do and this, you know, on a little aside, I heard somebody say that we humans instinctively and subconsciously in every single social situation, we notice the person with the slowest respiratory rate. We notice the, per we walk into a room of hundred people. We subconsciously notice the person who's breathing the slowest. Whoa. And, and, and we immediately assign, I hate to say alpha because it's such a, <laughs> yeah. like we, we pick out the, okay, that's the person that I'm going to look to in a crisis or that's like the boss. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We feel that energy of the sure. person with sort of the powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like that shallow breath, that kind of shifty, you know, that's mm. the guy that's he's, you know, that's the guy that you don't trust. And we, we do this all on a completely subconscious level, right? So when I walk into a room, I have these groups, you know, I usually have 45 minutes or an hour. I try immediately to slow my breath. And it's not difficult in these situations to be the person with the slowest respiration, you know, because a lot sure. of are pretty keyed up. A lot of them are there. Yeah. Against um, so I, I try to have their energy match mine instead of mine matching theirs. Just no matter how chaotic it Brilliant. is. Right? And it usually works. It works pretty quickly. They kind of start looking at me like, who's, you know, they know I'm there. I work there because I have a lanyard and whatnot, but they look at me with a little curiosity. They wonder why I'm not, um, you know, shifting around or moving around, getting, th I just, you know, I sit and often they'll sit and then starting to really breathe and, and, um, without even asking their breath to match mine, I find that most people kind of, you see their shoulders kind of drop, mm. right? Um, the first thing that I almost always do is work on shoulders, right? Because mm. we tend to, throughout the day, I'll notice my shoulders kind of inching up toward my ears, right? And then of course the, the pain and the discomfort comes in because you're all tight. So I ask them to notice, I ask them to lift their shoulders up, bring them back and set them mm. down say, okay, this is a baseline, right? 
up, yeah. back, you know, drop them down your, and a lot of these cues come from yoga, right? You know, let the, let your shoulders fall down your back. Mm-hmm. Your, I tell them like you're pinching a penny between your shoulder blades mm-hmm. and then just kind of relax a little from that. So um, there's that. I will um, sometimes have them create an anchor. Although a lot of that terminology from our training, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if it's just because it's a psych hospital or if it's because of the South or like, I don't know, so much of that, I try to use it, but I often get met with like either kind of a blank stare or a little bit of an mm. eye roll. Um, yeah, a little too uh, jargony maybe. Yeah, there are certain words that I just completely avoid. Um, sure. Space, one of them, create a space or like find the space and <laughs> like people are just not trying to hear that. Uh, but um, I try to like, I think I told you before we even left Washington, I was back in our room and I was trying to kind of translate. I was trying to take mm-hmm. like this, you know, cause we, we studied heart centered hypnotherapy. Hypnotherapy is its own thing. That's people already attribute it to being a little crunchy and then uh-huh. heart centered on top of it. <laughs> Out in the woods in Washington. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Spaces. So um, a lot of that, I tried to, I'll say, I'll ask people, you know, um, think of a place, you know, it can be real or imagined where you have felt comfortable or you would feel, you think you would yeah. feel comfortable yeah. and just imagine, I try not to ask them to find that place or go to that place, but it just, mm, think about it, you know, imagine. Yeah. Um, and then using, I'm very deliberate with the tone of my voice. Um, I have a low pitch, I have a low voice anyway. And that's what actually, um, that inspired me to try hypnosis. Cause I always thought, you know, I have this kind of like got a good voice for it. Yeah. Right. I got a good voice for it. So I'm going to see what I can do. So I just kind of keep my voice as, as monotone and as not quiet, but, but just, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and don't rise to the energy in the room. Cause a lot of these people talk over me. These people go to the vending machine in the middle of my thing and get chips and start opening those, <laughs> you know, they're not as yeah. and fidgety, especially the addicts. Mm-hmm. We addicts are a, a fidgety bunch. Um, but just trying not to react at all. It's been great practice for me mm-hmm. personally. Like I can get agitated. Someone's sitting there clicking a pen or tapping their foot and just talking, sure. through, not raising my voice to talk over. And you'll find people will kind of quiet down to get more of what I'm doing as opposed to me. It's like the Curtis Mayfield effect, right? He was this like, he was the kind of whispery guy and in, 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 a, in an industry where people are shouting and he was just kind of whispering and people would lean in to hear what he had to say. And in doing that, I feel like in a room with me, these people are inadvertently calming themselves. Yeah. That co-regulation and the mirror neurons, but you're intentionally not, you know, cause if you didn't step in and do that on purpose, then yeah, it would be very natural for your energy to start matching theirs. So yeah. you're giving them that opportunity to regulate to more of where your nervous system is at. Mm-hmm. And I didn't teach them a thing, you know, quote unquote, mm-hmm. like I, I, I just let them, you know, I think, and in that way, that's almost self-hypnosis. They're almost practicing yeah. self-hypnosis. Mm-hmm. So it's a funny thing. Like I'm not, I, I wouldn't say I'm a practiced or a expert hypno, hypnotist at all, but in a way, in like my approach, I yeah. urge people to to find that soothing, them, uh, self-soothing. Right. And that. by doing that, you're, I mean, you're also, it, it 
you're giving a suggestion, just not verbally, yeah. right? Yeah. You're giving it with your nervous system and, and you know how that tends to work is that if you really show up and you give that suggestion steadily and consistently that they're going to often meet you there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it doesn't work every time. Sometimes I'll come yeah. back to the group, whereas the first time the person was belligerent and, you know, like went out of their way to be rude, you know, when somebody's going out of their way to tell you they don't care, which is, you know, paradoxical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the second time I come mm-hmm. around, they're almost like, uh, like they don't want to admit it, but they're, uh, they want people, when you don't rise to that, people mm-hmm. start to wonder like, what is it about you? Like, why aren't mm-hmm. you taking that bait? And then they want to hear what I have to say. And sometimes those are my, I don't want to say best, but like most engaged and I don't want to say students either, but you know, after a while, it's people like that, that tend to get the most out of it. Cause they had to come to it by their own, you yeah. know, nobody has that, uh, that preachy hippie. We talked about this, like, <laughs> you know, the, the one that's telling you, you need to work on your energy or like telling you your aura sucks or whatever. Right. You know? Right. Um, yeah. So, Go to your safe place. Yeah. I don't yeah. want to, what if I don't right. want to, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. It's like, uh, it's the same way I was led to the, I, you know, I grew up in around Venice beach. I rolled my eyes hard my whole life. <laughs> I was more of a skateboarding punk rocker. Like I saw someone with a yoga mat under their arms and I thought like, you know, it'd be easy to run up and take their backpack. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> like I definitely, that was not my scene at all. And I had yeah. to come about it in my own way. And I still roll my eyes at some of these, some of these things that I hear, but um, I'm much more receptive to it. Yeah. In it, you know, aside from all the underneath all the BS. Spiritual bypassing stuff and just, yeah. Whitewashed wellness culture. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. Uh, we need people who are, are, you know, just kind of have that, I don't know, bullshit detector and just know what it's like to be skeptical of all of this. Um, because there's just, there are so many ways that it's presented that it's, yeah, I, I roll my eyes too. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so you, you kind of referred earlier to, um, addicts and, and identifying, uh, <laughs> as I mentioned, the, the gluttony of the seven. Um, so, so yeah, I'd like to talk about, uh, kind of drinking culture a little bit and, <laughs> Um, it's interesting. I mean, in, in what we were exchanging, I I haven't really talked much about drinking publicly anywhere. Um, and so, you know, I'll just kind of preface and say that, like, it's been something I've been exploring for several years. And there have been those moments where I've reflected and gone, I don't know that I love what I see about my relationship with this stuff. I'm, should I be concerned? But it's like, I've done that with, you know, food, even as someone who's in long-term eating disorder recovery, I give me all the cookies. If there's no consequences, I will take all of them, you know, (laughs) like, and again, spending like all these different ways that it's just like, you know, this is good. More is better. More is better. Um, all of that. And so 
I have been very, uh, I've read a lot of the quit lit, listened to a lot of the podcasts. I've experimented with periods of, of no alcohol or just being more quote unquote mindful about consuming it. But, you know, with all that quit lit, man, there are some very compelling arguments for <laughs> why alcohol is just objectively, uh, a toxic and dangerous substance for any of us. Um, <laughs> certainly, certainly skeptical about, I mean, not skeptical. I just don't believe in the notion of, you know, either you're a person who's an alcoholic and you can't touch the stuff at all, or you're fine. If you're not that, then you're fine. And just keep doing what you're doing. Right. That's such a damaging idea. Yeah. Um, and so all this gray area stuff around, like, you know, let's explore, what is this giving to my life? What is this? Um, is this more harmful than it is helpful? It's just, just so much, but I know that, you know, the drinking culture, um, in the normalization of all of that and is, is just so harmful. And I know that's something you're passionate about. So I would love to just kind of hear anything you want to share about your perspective on it. Sure. Um, you know, what comes to mind almost immediately is the, um, the mommy wine culture, Oh Lord. Okay. So, so I, um, I'm a parent, I have a 10 and a 12 year old and, um, I live in kind of an affluent suburb of Memphis and I was trick or treating with my kids a couple years back and we were all in a group, a bunch of kids and the moms and they were kind of leading the way. And, uh, I have a nose like a bloodhound. So they all had the Yeti mugs but like I'm downwind and I'm like, you know, that's Pinot Grigio. That's not, that's, uh -huh. that's not coffee or tea. Um, and it's just very common around here. You know, you go to ball games, you go like anywhere. My yoga studio, my very kind of hoity-toity yoga studio, they do like yoga on the rooftop of the old Dominic distillery. And then afterwards yeah. tasting, and this is a distillery. It's not a winery or a brewery. Like this is okay, a, straight up booze, like uh -huh. these are straight up booze. So like, but it's seen as very, but it's, it's very classy. Cause it's, you know, yeah. artisanal high-end booze, right? We're not and, talking moonshine. That's for the poor people. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yes. Well, even some brands of that these days, <laughs> that's true. High -end, but but yeah, it's, it's so funny. It's like, you know, it's acceptable in some circles, it's trashy in others. It's mm. all the same ethanol, mm. it's poison. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but in the mommy culture, you know, my theory on it is, is parenthood. Nobody tells you this, but parenthood is extremely isolating. Didn't used to be back when we lived in fives and packs yeah. and the way we should be. It wasn't, it say it takes a village to raise a child. It absolutely does. It used to be that we all helped one another and we lived in a multi-generational household or village where if your kid wakes up with a fever in the middle of the night, there's some older lady who's been through it and will come and will help. And nowadays, like you're on WebMD, you're completely isolated. Your kid goes to daycare. The old folks go to the convalescent home or the retirement community and you're on your own. And so you're surrounded by all these other mothers who are also on their own and feel completely isolated. And, you know, a lot of, uh, one of my favorite quotes from recovery is that addiction is the opposite of connection. Mm -hmm. This is what we do when we feel disconnected and we almost all do. So um, I think mommy culture, mommy wine culture is what happens when, you know, all the moms get together and realize that they all feel completely um, isolated and they, they find each other. It's like, get, it's like all getting on the same lifeboat, you know, yeah. next ship and you're trying to stay warm and that's yeah. your 
Exactly. Right. And, and like, we're having to do this thing that we, you know, is we're it's not really designed to be done this way. So at least I deserve this. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like mommy needs her wine. It's five o'clock somewhere, all these cute little quippy things. Whereas, mm-hmm. and, and like I said, you know, if you're a section eight mom, then that's super trashy and you should be ashamed of yourself. But if you're and you a, should get kicked off your food stamps for it, right. right? Yeah. Your snack taken from the home. But if you know, you're married or you have, you know, a small meteor on your ring finger and you're, you know, driving a certain vehicle, like, you know, it's, it's cute and, yep. and, and charm. Oh, there you are back. Okay. You were saying it's cute and it's charming. Yeah. It's cute. And it's charming to, to get wasted while the sun's still up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So all the, all the classism that's, uh, shows up in, in our relationship to what we think of substances, substance use or abuse or dependence and all of that. And you know, what's a trip too? I was thinking about it actually in the shower, like an hour ago. I don't know why it popped up (laughs) when I met you around the time I met you, I was about at the height of my, you know, whatever I was using, I was using Mm. it pretty uh, steadily. And I was ironically, if you would ask my physician or my yoga instructor, whatever, I was in like peak physical shape, right? Mm resting heart rate of like 60 and I was you know I could hold a plank for five minutes and I could you know like I was doing all these like super intense vinyasa and ashtanga Mm. classes all the time and um I thought I looked great looking back at pictures I was I was a little Mm. little but um you know by all by all uh social standards yeah right I was doing really well I was killing it um but I couldn't go one night without putting something or another in my body in order to change the way I felt. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's really wild, like this whole mind body division. I think the greatest disservice we, that is done to us as kids is, is to be taught that the mind and body are two separate things. And then we go through our lives feeling that way. Like, what was it about why, why was I content poisoning myself daily while still insisting that I was in the best shape of my life? Like, that's wild to me, you right. know? And, but and it, why, yeah, why was I insistent on like practicing this, this beautiful practice of yoga and becoming an instructor and meditating, but I would like, you know, time went on every night and watch murder porn. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like true crime and alcohol, like that's awful. Right. And then I get up in the morning and do sun salutations and think that like, I don't know, they canceled each other out. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh gosh. And it's like, well, it all makes sense again, given the cultural narratives and what's valued and what's sort of like accepted and, um, normalized. And, and it's so tricky for me with stuff like the, I mean, cause on one hand, I don't like any kind of notion of like purity, you know, right. like this note, this idea of like, oh, I don't, cons- I don't watch television or I don't, you know, <laughs> whatever. Right. Um, but at the same time, like what we consume, if it's, you know, an, a poison of alcohol. And, and again, I say that as someone who 
um, is currently sometimes consuming a beverage or two, uh, it is poison. <laughs> um, or if it's consuming some kind of, I mean, I can't, I hardly have an appetite for any of that true crime stuff, but, you know, certainly watch stuff that arguably is, is, um, not great for my nervous system or not, yeah. not nourishing for my spirit. Um, so it's just tricky. Cause it's like, yeah, we don't need to try to reach some pinnacle of purity, but the stuff that we're consuming, whatever that means in our minds and our, you know, in our bodies, uh, cause like you're saying our brain and our, is part of our body, our spirit, whatever that is, is kind of living somewhere in here. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it, of course it affects us. Yeah. And I, I think what's, what's worth examining is what is it inside of us that drives us to, you know, cause what, what was it within me that made me have to resort to those things or to crave those things? You know, like yeah. if, if you're, I pay really attention to like when I'm craving extra sugar or when I'm craving, mm -hmm. I don't watch uh, much true crime anymore. And I think that's, that's a great litmus. That's a great sign that I do. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't want that anymore. And I don't want the things that I used to just pile into my system daily. So it's, it's almost like, you're right. It's not even about purity. It's just about being mindful of, you know, it's like getting quiet and noticing. I love that word noticing. I use that mm -hmm. a lot in my groups. It's like, you know, not like investigating, digging and burrowing and trying yeah, to yeah. noticing like when this comes, okay. And then being a little detective, like, where did that come from? You know, suddenly I want to eat, you know, uh, grocery store sheet cake. Okay. That's <laughs> not going to serve my body. So where did that, it's not like suddenly I'm craving a glass of water. Suddenly I'm craving an orange. Okay. We know that that comes from our body probably needs hydration, sure. needs vitamins, but if I'm suddenly craving a slice of sheet cake, okay. Where did that, that didn't come from the gut, so to speak. Yeah that came from somewhere else and why, you know? Right. And for me, especially as someone who's a foodie and, you know, anti-diet and all of that, um, it's like, it's not, you know, it's not demonizing the sheet cake, but I know for me, if I, I love to savor a, a delicious dessert, you know, like mm -hmm. give it to, and, and that doesn't mean I'm not going to ever have an Oreo too. Like, yeah, I'll have an Oreo too. Right. I sheet cake, we can't really do vegan necessarily, but I'll have an Oreo. <laughs> but normally it's, there's a difference between the urgency of I'm sort of uh, mindlessly walking to the cabinet to get Oreos versus I'm going to savor this really delicious treat, right? Yeah, I'm going to intentionally enjoy yeah. one or two or three, as opposed to mindlessly grabbing an entire sleeve yeah, and just jamming it in your maw. Mm -hmm. Like, that, that comes from someplace and it's emotional. Yep. Right? And that comes from, it's the exact same thing, like the, the opposite of connection, right? We feel mm -hmm. disconnected in a myriad of ways and we approach it. We, you know, any kind of overconsumption is an attempt to fill some kind of hole. Right. right? So we are disconnected as a society. We, you know, our connections aren't really, we have these curated lives online. You know, I quit social media around the same time I quit uh, drugs and alcohol yeah. slowly inching back to that. Cause I need to, for my career, but uh -huh. like it was, it came from the same place. It was this unhealthy obsession with mm. 
you know, getting as much of this one thing in me as possible that at the end of the day, didn't make me feel very good yet. I come yeah. back to it. Right. So where does that come from? Right. If it's not fulfilling, if it doesn't make you feel good yet, you're coming back to it again and again, that's a problem. That's, yep. that's problematic. You need to wonder what is yeah. this doing for me? And and what am I seeking in that moment? And it's not that we can always like, I, I can't fill the bottomless pit because it's bottomless. And that's sort of like the nature of being human, <laughs> but there might be something that I could do in that moment. And for me, it's like dose, the dose matters. Like, you know, for me, maybe one drink feels okay, but four feels awful or 10, five minutes of like scrolling on Instagram actually feels fine. I don't feel like gross afterwards, but 30 minutes, it's like my brain breaks and I'm just like, I hate everything. It's not even a comparison <laughs> thing. I don't know what it is. It's just like something happens to my brain after I'm like scrolling on the phone for a while. And it's just like that dose does not work for me. It is incompatible with my well being. And so if I find myself wanting to do that, like I want to notice, like, what's, what's up? What's going on here? What am I looking for? So tell us about sobriety, which is the coolest name. Ah, thank you. Um, so, uh, so I got that from, you know, tree is a pose, tree is a pose. And so there are so many tree metaphors. I don't even know where yes. we begin. I'm trying to yeah. brand with work. I'm like, do I go with the acorn? Do I go with the leaf? Oh man. Do I go with, do I go yes. with you know, that'd be a whole other episode. But um, <laughs> so what I wanted to do was because a lot of my a lot of the patients leave. And because of HIPAA and because of, you know, I can't like stay in touch with these people. Like we mm-hmm. can't exchange phone numbers, you know. But a lot of them, it's their first ever foray into yoga. They want to know where they can find more of it. You know, I'm, I'm licensed through the Y12SR community, which is uh, Yoga of 12-Step Recovery, which is its own school and brand. And that's a pretty robust community. It's growing every day. It's across multiple countries. But, um, you know, there really isn't all that much online as far as um, yoga for recovery. Mm-hmm. There's not as much as think there is, at least not the last time I checked. So um, I wanted to create something with like, you know, small practices, like, like miniature classes, a lot of it too, like the people that I work with every day, um, you know, due to a number of factors, some are a lot older, and kind of miss the whole yoga train, some, you know, there are socioeconomic factors, Mm -hmm. there are all sorts of things, like, not a lot of them want to sit down to a, a 60 minute practice the way that you and I might want to, right? They want to take it little chunks at a time. A lot of them notice after 15 minutes. And I tailor my classes to be 15 minutes because I want to show them that sometimes, you know, it doesn't take much. It's just a mm-hmm. it's just a little bit like a small time commitment. So I want to do these like bite-sized classes. Cool. I wanted to also offer like something we touched on a little earlier, like something a little bit humorous, a little more down to earth about the whole, the prospect of being any part of an like new age community. It can be so serious. So like, you know, insisting upon itself. Yes. So precious. Oh yeah. Like it's so, so sacred. It's just so, and, and that's not really my personality at times. It is. I certainly Mm -hmm. like, sure. 
you know what I'm saying? Like I, yeah. I'm a lot more, you can be uh, reverent, but it's like, you know, when, when that's not tempered with some levity and some being able to laugh at ourselves, it's just kind of obnoxious to me. <laughs> you know, the worst thing that I could ever like overhear somebody saying about me is like, she takes herself too seriously. Yeah. Like, that stings so hard <laughs> that like somebody's out there thinking that I'm presenting myself as, yeah. you know, I really I, I hope to God that I never come off like that. You know, I, I want, I feel like I have a lot to offer, um, but I don't want to come off as a, a guru type ever and wanted to offer something that incorporates art and yoga and humor. And um, I love the daily reflect, reflections. I read them every day mm. and it's this little book. So I wanted to do something where it's kind of my take on the daily reflections and things that come up when I think about sobriety. Um, just, you know, my, my interpretation of the situation is Andre. Yeah. 3000 say. Nice. I love it. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, oh my gosh, never have I been so sad that I'm like, I have to end this in a few minutes for a client session. Cause I'm like, there's entire topics we didn't even get to. So we'll touch base offline and figure out, um, if we want to schedule more time or, or whatever, or this, we can just know that there's no way we could have included everything that we want to talk about. Well, it has to be like um, part two, three. This has yes. to be an anthology. Let's work on the it. Anthology. Probably, it probably does. It probably does need to be. So, um, meanwhile, tell people it'll be in the show notes and in the intro and everything. But tell people again where they can find you online and sobriety and anything you want to let us know about what you're offering. Okay. Okay. So it's, uh, at sobriety on Instagram, um, jasminecageart.com. I'm also an artist has nothing to do. Well, it has something to do with all this, but uh, not <laughs> Jasmine me, with no E, right? Jasmine with no E. Yes. Jasmine cage art. Um, I do own sobriety.com. I have yet to build, but that's Ooh, probably coming good. soon. Soon. Um, and then that's about it. I don't do much on social media, but if you really are hell bent on finding me, you can find me there. <laughs> and hopefully when we do part two and three, I'll have more to offer as far as yes. I love it. Um, well, thank you for humoring all my tangents. This was so much <laughs> fun and, uh, let's do it again. Yeah, please. I hope you enjoyed this episode and if you feel moved to share it with someone you think would love it that would mean so much to me for show notes as well as a transcription of this and previous episodes head over to www.gaiacenter.co that's g-a-i-a center.co you can follow us on instagram at the gaia center and follow me at val k martin v-a-l-k-a-y martin you can also sign up for our monthly newsletter. Look for the link on our website where we'll share about groups and events we're offering locally in Nashville, as well as tips and resources from our therapists that we hope will be valuable and relevant wherever you may be listening from. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.